All right, Romans chapter 8, we're still working our way through there. Uh, after highlighting that since, not if we're God's children, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write and let his original readers, as well as every hearer and reader since, know that there is still a very real need to buckle up and get ready because we will be sharing in Christ's sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. One of the consistent dynamics of most training programs is that the trainee undergoes some degree of suffering. Those of you that have been in the military know basic training, and it's not just like a picnic. I mean, they're gonna put you through your paces, and there's things that happen in that situation to kind of break down free will and bring you into alignment. But it really doesn't matter whether in the military or not. You could just be learning to do a cash register at a local restaurant, and those first few days trying to figure out how to do the cash register, you're gonna go through some suffering. Because people are standing there, they're wanting like this, no, I push this button, this button. I mean, there's the mental things, there's emotional things. Part of a training process is intended to get us out of, I'm just doing it my way and I know what I need to do, to the point of, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, to I think I know what I'm doing, to I know what I'm doing. But in that process, there's physical, emotional, mental pain. That's part of training. And the same is true in training for reigning. Now, sometimes, sometimes the sufferings that we're enduring are just the consequences of poor decisions. But listen, even having to work our, our way through consequences includes several valuable lessons in training for reigning. Number one, crucial lesson, learning the power of repentance. And sometimes we can be so hard-headed. We've done something, we know it's not right, we've missed the mark, we've gone to the left or the right, the Holy Spirit's conviction is on us, but we're still just holding on or thinking we gotta do something to work it out. There, there is, we're in the middle of a consequence. We're suffering through it. But instead of just turning to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, we try something else. One of the powerful things working through a consequence for a poor decision is to embrace, repent as quickly as possible. Get right back to God. He's the only place that can get it fixed anyway. It's the relationship with him that we need to make right. And so we do that. Another lesson that comes as we're working our way through a consequence is the freedom found in humbling ourselves. So powerful. And another one is to develop a resistance to, why me, poor me, all these terrible things happening to me. Well, you made a bad choice, that's why you, and God cares and loves about you too much to let you get away with it for free. He's a good, good father. However, here in Romans 8, Paul used a specific focus, if indeed we share in his sufferings and the word his is the key word there you see training for reigning has a purpose and a goal that we become more christ-like that we become more and more conformed and transformed into his image inside and out and most of the time he changes us from the inside out training for reigning is another way to describe jesus's open invitation come to me take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek, strength under control, and humble in heart, and you will find joy for your souls. There's an open invitation there, training for reigning, and it starts with the choice of coming to him. He doesn't make us come to it. Now, sometimes he'll get us in a situation where that's just the smartest thing to do, but sometimes it's like he'll let, okay, try it your way. I'll be here. I'll be here. There's a patience and a persistence about the way he pursues us, but it starts with come to him. But then when we come to him, we need to embrace and take his yoke upon us. 
Now, what happens sometimes is we come to him, we take his yoke upon us, we go that way a little bit, and then, ah, I don't want to keep living like that, and so we take his yoke off, we go our own way. Well, you know what you need to do when that happens? Repent, go back to him, take his yoke upon you again, and this time stay yoked with him. And then staying yoked with him, the next thing is to keep learning. Keep learning from him, learning his ways, learning the way he does things, learning his heart. And all that happens with the promised reward. The Amplified says, you will find rest, relief, ease, refreshment, recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. All of that, rest, relief, ease, refreshment, recreation, blessed quiet for your souls. <coughs> Excuse me. All of that is hidden fruit of being a cooperative participant in training for reigning and all that goes with that process. The Amplified also references Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But here's what the rest of that verse says. But you said we will not walk in it. That is not the way I expected that verse to end. But in training for reigning, sharing in his glory, sharing in his sufferings, in all of that, we'll encounter many crossroads, choices about which way to go, what to think, how to behave. And every time, the first best thing to do is ask for help. And oftentimes, ask more than once. Being able to ask is a reminder that no matter how hard, how lonely, or even how isolating our suffering times feel, we are never alone in them. Jesus' last words in Matthew's gospel still hold true today. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. At any crossroads, rather than believing the lie that we gotta figure it out ourselves, or getting paralyzed with fear about making the wrong choice, or falling for the prideful deception of looking for a never-been-done-before option, we're better served looking for tried and true ways. The Amplified calls them eternal ways. Those good, well-trodden, established paths are what Solomon called the way of wisdom in Proverbs 4. Look, ask, ask again, and then walk in it. Once we get a led by the Spirit's sense of direction, make the best decision to go that way. And as Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3.23, then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. Now, none of us volunteer for suffering. And usually when they come, we can't see and we don't understand what's happening to us or why. So too many times and way too quickly, we tend to judge God for not doing what we think he should be doing for us. The devil started that lie all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And, and the devil's not creative, but he doesn't have to be. The same lies just keep working over and over and over again. However, led by the Spirit, there's a better way. And led by the Spirit, our judgmental attitudes, habits, and tendencies toward God can become a thing of our past starting right now, this very minute. Rather than getting locked in on, Father, save me from this, we can pray like Jesus did. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name in me, in this situation. Chapter 13 of the shack, a couple of sentences that I love so much. God, Papa speaking. 
I don't even want your sorrow of presuming to be my judge. I just want us to grow on together without it. That really is the heart of God. I don't want your sorrow for presuming to be my judge. I just want us to grow on together without it. For us to stop being his judge. God's been being God a long time. He's really, really, really good at it. Better at it than any of us will ever, ever be. Let's let him be him and let's be us and let's walk with him. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider as how Paul started this profound thought in Greek, it means to take an inventory, to estimate, to conclude. And Paul's conclusion was, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is a place of assurance each of us should aspire to occupy, not just visit from time to time, but to occupy in the spirit realm. It's a game-changing, perspective-shifting, perception-shaping truth that it would be good to keep front and center or at least easily accessible as we go through all the stuff this life on a fallen planet throws at us. And again, notice Paul used sufferings in the plural form. Another part of the plural form of sufferings means that sufferings come our way not just one after another, but sometimes more than one at a time, which is probably where the saying, when it rains, it pours came from. Remember in our present sufferings, they are open windows of opportunity to discover and experience fresh, revelatory, and relevant depths of our co-heirs with Christ relationship. Also remember our present sufferings do not take place outside of God's sovereignty. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows better than we do what we can handle. And he promises first not to let us get tested beyond our ability to, do, to endure. And second, to always provide a way for us to stand up under whatever testing is trying to press us down. So led by the Spirit, we can stand up. We can look up. We can get a glimpse further down the road. And we can tap into and make another draw upon the one who knows the end from the beginning. In his first letter, Peter wrote a lot about sufferings and his concluding advice was, humble yourselves, there it is again, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up, and then here's a key phrase, in due time. Not in your time, not like yesterday when you wanted it today, but in due time. And God's time is different than ours, but his word tells us that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, not half of it, 75%, not even 99.9%, but all 100% of your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Be self-controlled and alert. Resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. Christians throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, oh, that sounded so good, after you have suffered a little while, uh-oh, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. That's our God. The glory to be revealed in us refers to the very apparent, obvious 
glory of God being uncovered and released in and through us. Learning to process our sufferings and our challenges in light of the glory to be revealed in us, it fuels and feeds a lifestyle of faith and expectancy that keeps hope alive in us. It also aligns us with our status as we, us, mature sons and daughters of God. As we live through all of our hurts as well as through all of our hallelujahs. When we, like Paul, decide our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. We'll be better equipped to work our, through, our way through the paradox of two things that we probably wouldn't put together. Sufferings and glory. But the bottom line is both are part of our inheritance in Christ. One commentator that I found this week wrote, nothing will help us more in enduring sufferings than a clear view of the glory that it is linked to it. Nothing will help us more in enduring sufferings than a clear view of the glory that is linked to it. Second Corinthians 4, Paul wrote, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the glory to be revealed in us is both a now and a later experience. And one of the now applications of the glory to be revealed in us is unveiled as we recognize the value and the benefits of being inwardly renewed day by day. So easy to get looking at things on the outside, but focusing on what's happening on the inside. It helps us to properly consider and evaluate the troubles at hand. And that's important because a lot of times when troubles show up, our first thought is these are just a hassle. These troubles are just a hassle. And then when we get past the hassle, it's like, they're not just a hassle, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening to me. And then when we get past that, we are oftentimes we're in the thing, well, it's just random. Why is this going like, no, listen, God is at work in our lives. The word says perseverance must complete its work so that we can be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. And God brings things into our lives that is perseverance being worked out. There's a purification process that's involved. And a lot of times as purification happens, it gets hotter and it heats up. And like with gold, when you start heating up the gold, it might be great gold that you're working with, but when you start heating it up, the impurities come out of that. And all of a sudden it looks like that's not good. That looks like a mess. Well, don't worry, it'll get hotter. And at one point, David uh, Carpenter, uh, they made the wedding ring for his son, Sam, who got married yesterday. And he was telling us about this process. And when they were casting the ring, what happens is you got all the impurities, but what you're waiting for, how do you know when it's time to cast the ring? When it gets to the point where you can see your face in the gold. That's when you know. And I suspect in the training for reigning purification process, when we see our face in the gold, we're seeing his face looking back at us. But sometimes we're still, we get caught up in all the impurities and we check out early. So this thing of he is renewing me inwardly. It might not look like it on the outside, but there is something going on inside of me that will win the day and it is worth it and I'm staying with that. And as we wrap our heads around the comparison contrast of the momentary with the eternal, the glory of uh, to God to be revealed in us draws us, even in the midst of sufferings, towards the eternal that's discovered in the unseen rather than us getting stuck in what is temporarily being seen 
and experienced. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the mature sons and daughters of God, the we us of God to be revealed. Do you remember the old uh, Heinz 57 commercials? Anticipation, anticipation, it's making me wait. There is an intense anticipation in all of creation for us to become the full incarnation of heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we us, mature, fully grown, fully trusted children of God. Within all of creation, there's a built-in awareness that that will happen. But the unknown part is when. In the message, it says, meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. It sounds like the end of a a sitcom or something like that. But in the passion, it says, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. There's also a nostalgia of all creation that undergirds the imageries of this word. You see, there was an original design of perfection on this planet. In the beginning, matter and non-matter, seen and unseen, dimensional, non-dimensional, physical, spiritual, literally the earth and heaven touched and intermingled. And then everything changed. Gene Edwards' book, The Beginning, includes an expanded fictional account of the biblical creation story. And as he writes it, immediately after Adam and Eve made their choices to eat the forbidden fruit, the whole planet earth tipped off center. If you ever see a, a picture of the globe, it's kind of, on its side a little bit like this. And the way he was writing, before the fall, it was straight up and down. But since the fall, it's just leaning over just a little bit, which is what you kind of feel like, oh, there's something not quite right here. And as he wrote about it, ice caps appeared, deserts were formed, days and nights shortens, the curse spread to every plant, flower, tree, and animal. The beauty of the favored planet was wrenched downward to match the fallen state of Adam and Eve. Their reasoning, their choices, their actions fueled by a deceptive lie affected all of creation on earth as well as out into and beyond the galaxies. And from that moment forward, creation has waited expectantly with earnest longing for God's sons and daughters to be made known. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the technon children of God. Creation did not make the choice to vary from original design, but in God's sovereignty and will, creation has been forced to submit to the consequences, the, the sometimes purposelessness, the chaos, the frustration of the fall of humans. But creation does so with an end in mind. A day creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And a day creation itself is brought into the glorious, legitimate freedom of the technon, not the we, us, children of God. More about that before we're finished. Now we know there's a day coming and the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Revelation 21 speaks of a new heaven and a new earth as well as a fresh release of the eternal glory to be revealed. What are we supposed to be doing between now and then? A footnote in the New uh, New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible says, Christians see this world as it is, physically decaying and spiritually infected with sin. But Christians do not need to be pessimistic because we have the hope for future glory. As we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth God has promised, And as we wait for God's new order to free the world of sin, sickness, and evil, 
We get to go with Christ into the world where we serve others, where we work for the well-being of people's souls, hearts, minds, and bodies, and where we live and proclaim the truth and the promises of the gospel in tangible ways that combat the evil effects of sin in the world. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The choices to eat the forbidden fruit tore the whole universe apart and created a divide between the spiritual and the physical. But now, each one of us who claims to be a follower and disciple of Jesus has been called to and given the ministry of reconciliation. The primary targets of this reconciliation are people. Introducing people, bringing people, encouraging people to live in relationship with God. We're God's ambassadors through whom he wants to bring many people into a born-again salvation experience as we shine like stars in the universe and hold out the word of life. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If anyone is in Christ... They're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. What an amazing, amazing privilege we have to serve our God like that. As I was thinking about these verses, it occurred to me, what if a secondary target of our ministry of reconciliation relates to redeeming the land? Now, I'm not talking about the false religion of green climate change cult that's being propagated all over the world. That, that whole thing is a lie on so many levels. And yet the truth remains that each of us are called to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us. And that includes being smart and thoughtful about how we take care of the planet. What if even now God wants to use people like us to help liberate creation where we live? What if our lives and our prayers really do affect things like rain and drought? What if our lives and our prayers not only affect the fertility of the soil, but also the prosperity of the local business community? What if our prayers and our lives are meant to secure, strengthen, and support individuals, marriages, families, schools, local governments where we live. 21 years ago, Graham Cook released a still open foundational blueprint prophetic word over impact. Here's some of what he said. He said, I wanna tell you this. It's through your love for God and one another that you're gonna win the hearts of this community. There's an anointing upon you to bless the community. And you need to be aware of that and conscious of that. Stand for unity in this whole community. Be diligent to promote unity and to pursue it. Write it on your hearts. Other churches matter. And find ways to help support and bless them. God will give you resources to come to the aid of the kingdom in this region. So become a target the Holy Spirit can display his power in. Learn to sit, walk, and stand in the majesty of God because there's gonna come a mercy that flows out of this place 
that will capture the hearts of this community. 21 years ago, but that word is still as current and fresh and real for each of our lives today. In fact, look around the room and what you see is some fruit from that word right here as we've gathered in this place. But uh, what I know in my heart is the best is yet to come and we ain't seen nothing yet about what God wants us to do and who he wants us to be. Interestingly, in verses 19 and 20, Paul used the same combinations of words that he used in verses 15 and 16. Once again, the Holy Spirit led Paul to write about the manifestation of the weos, the fully mature of God, matched up with the glorious freedom of the technon of God, emphasizing a point. From the time where technon, which means old enough to know, old enough to be accountable, old enough to be ready for school, old enough to go to kids' church. From that time on, we have the opportunity for the lid to come off and for our lives to demonstrate and invite everything around us into the wonderful freedom that we're called to experientially know and live out as God's children. We're still here because God's not finished with us yet. We're still here because there's more of the glory of God to be manifested in and through our lives. There is more of his glory to be fully disclosed. There's more of his glory to be made clear and evident beyond any doubt and any question in and through our lives as we grow up into the fullness of becoming we us, fully mature, fully trusted sons and daughters of God. You know, a lot of our worldview is shaped by what we've experienced in our lives as well as what we've studied, what we've learned, what we've understood, what we've been able to put into practice. However, across the board, the reality is we still don't know what we don't know. And another reality is we still get lulled into a false sense of satisfaction too easily. And sadly, in areas of frustration, most of the time, we initially feel less powerful than and unable to make significant changes in our world. Our God has a very different set of thoughts on those issues. And even within the core design of all creation, there remains to this day an expectancy for something else to happen. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, <coughs> who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In, for in this hope, we're saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We'll take a deeper look at these verses in a few weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. But this weekend, let me just read these same verses from the Message Bible to give us something to ponder and consider between now and then. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. And we are also feeling birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting 
We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. As we work out our salvation, as we work our way through training for reigning, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Look, ask, ask again, and keep embracing living led by the Spirit. Don't put off for tomorrow what you could be doing today. Let's keep stepping up into our place. Let's keep moving further up, farther into our destiny. Let's keep pushing forward and living more and more into the glorious, unrestrained freedom that Jesus secured for us by his sacrificial death on the cross and into the resurrection life and divine favor that we now have on our lives because we are co-heirs with Christ. God grant it and let it be so. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word that is living, active, and true. And again, Lord, I thank you that it calls us out of places where we're asleep and we need to wake up. And I thank you that it calls us away from places of making excuses and justifications for doing anything less than giving you every part of who we are, body, soul, mind, and spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your calling on our lives. Thank you for calling us and recognizing us as your sons and daughters. Thank you for the favor and the freedoms that you've invested into our lives. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't use our freedoms to serve the flesh, but we would use our freedoms to serve one another in love and that you would use us to release expressions and demonstrations of your goodness and your kindness and your life and your mercy and your salvation everywhere we go. Lord, we thank you that we get to be your ambassadors. I pray we'd keep our light on and keep it shining bright for you. You are so worthy of a people to be living on the planet right now like that. And we want to be some of those. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to do it. Lord, in the midst of sufferings, help us win the conversations in our minds. So many times we get focused on the wrong thing. In the midst of sufferings, Lord, I pray you'd even open up this morning, even in this open up, the recognition of what you're doing inside. That we, we step away from the seen and we embrace the unseen and we take hold of and are strengthened by what you're doing inside of us, maturing us, growing us up. And let us not resist that process, but let us embrace it and receive the full benefit of it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.